I'm speechless. <laughs> well, that's Jules. Yeah. Hey, congratulations. congratulations. What? I, I told him, puppy. I mean, if we're engaged, we really shouldn't be ashamed of it. <laughs> He's racing back to New York. He just came in for a few hours to, uh, to, uh, fuck me. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies with Bryn and Jeremy that, of course, doesn't take itself too seriously. I'm Jeremy. This week, I'm joined by Emily Panic taking the role of Bryn Nipor. Mm-hmm. If you can't hear, my hair is very big and curly. It's huge. <laughs> I can't even believe how big it is. You know, I've known Emily long enough now to know <laughs> what a good hair day looks like, and Wow. <laughs> and this is just a it's a whole different thing i'm gonna have to and you know i take my role as Bryn very seriously mm-hmm. and so i'm really gonna try to embody her and just sort of maneuver about this podcast as if i have big curly hair and opinions <laughs> which is mostly the impression that Bryn left on me the one yeah. time that i was and, on this podcast last time and fantastic new glasses by the way Thank you, but I, I appreciate if you'll just ignore the new glasses because these are Emily's glasses and I am Bryn. You're so Bryn. I'm not I'm not wearing glasses, I think. <laughs> so just treat me as if I'm I don't have glasses. All right. Bryn but is thank of you. Hold on. I'm Emily now. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. I thought it was Emily time did for a more visual joke on the podcast again. <laughs> You did do this the last time you were on. <laughs> did I? <laughs> I did a visual joke. Well, that one's for you. And the audience at home, they can just imagine, you know, they can use their imagination. This is sort of a, in the spirit of like a War of the Worlds type situation. Right. A radio Everybody's play. freak out and um, take to the streets <laughs> in fear that Bryn is actually <laughs> on the line today, tuning yeah. in from Paradise Island. Yeah. Is that where she is on Paradise Island? No, she's in L.A. Um, oh. Not an island. Not yeah. Paradise. <laughs> not even a particularly nice city, to be no. honest. No. Um, so, Bryn. Yep. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you watch this week? Okay. Aside from My Best Friend's Wedding. I watched... Well, okay. I'll Since uh, you presented me... A sort of a time frame of how whatever I'm just gonna go into it. okay so there is one thing I watched that I'm very excited about but before that I'll just say that I have been you know I was watching like Top Chef and Barry. oh the new season right yeah the new season both of those shows um Top what Chef is think? great what loved, did you think of the season of Top Chef mm-hmm. I loved it it's 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 so interesting because during the pandemic I watched the entire series again so I've seen like every season of Top Chef at least twice, maybe three times, because it's just a comfort show for sure. me. Like I probably I put have it on, and then I I cook while I watch it and stuff. It's just there's like, probably a couple of seasons that I've seen like four or five times. Yeah, it's great. Um, so the new season's great. I think the the guy that won Buddha is amazing. He's mm-hmm. really sweet and endearing. Uh, in the past, you know, when the fir- show first started, it was much more like your classic reality show, they were like, we're going to play up drama. We're going to really, 
we're going to also play up what's going on between these chefs, you know, out of the kitchen. And there's like always a personality that's in there. That's a wild card. That's kind of a dick. And there was no real villain this season. Everybody was like very cool, very diverse cast, really good at what they do for the most part. So I feel like they've they've kind of veered in that direction in recent years to like avoid having a straight up villain. Yeah, and then they accidentally had a straight up villain last season. Well, yeah, the, the winner, the fucking of Top winner, Chef was uh, was a sex pest, and yep. um, uh, I think that this season it felt very distinctly like they were like trying to avoid that, trying to make up for that. Like everything felt like it was kind of like dancing around that fact a little bit. Yeah, um, but also they've kind of I feel like at some stage they probably got a little bit of heat for the fact that, like, villains in the past had frequently been, like, older women. Oh, yeah. There's, like, a couple of seasons in a row where, like, the villain character was an older woman and all these, like, young people are like, fucking bitch, you're not my mom. Yeah, yeah. I'm not your bitch, bitch, is the famous famous line from season, like, I don't even know, two, three, four, with that, like, uh, red-headed lady with the curly hair. Um I know you're right. It's it is often just a woman, but there's also been. <laughs> I mean, obviously, last season the sex pest was the villain, but he for the whole season was just like I'm this family man, you know. Yeah. I'm trying. Well, that was a fascinating like insight into reality show editing in particular, right? Because that's always my approach to watching reality TV. Is I like to watch the edit and see yeah. like how they're trying to show us different people. And he was in a weird place because. And there's precedent for this from RuPaul's Drag Race. There was a couple mm-hmm. seasons ago, there was um, Sherry Pie, who was a sex pest, but went really far into the competition. And they had to figure out how to edit around Sherry right. Pie, obviously performing very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what they end up doing is like giving you as little screen time as possible to keep you in people's mind, but not have them think like you're cool or compelling or interesting. <laughs> But do you think that they, I assumed that they had locked the edit on last season before these allegations came out. I think that they had started to trickle out when he first was announced to be As on the, the show. Winner. No, 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 oh, to, oh, to have been on the show at all. When they announced the cast, I think these things started to trickle out. Because I remember I was on like the Top Chef Reddit all throughout that. Oh. And I remember people saying like from the beginning, like, Hey, this guy's like a time bomb. <laughs> I hope he doesn't make it very far. Really? And then with each passing week, it was like, oh, wow, he's really, he's making a pretty deep run here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and and they're also actively painting him as this family man. Yeah. Who has these kids and who you're sort of set up to root for. Yeah. It was so, interesting. Yeah. I mean, his food did look amazing. <laughs> it did, yeah. I actually do. I, like, I. I still feel like I might want to go to his restaurant if I'm ever in Austin. <laughs> yeah, I won't post about it. I won't post about it. I, I won't might tell anybody, but I might eat it. <laughs> I Bryn. Uh, yeah, what's my Bryn last right name? Now, obviously, Bryn Niebuhr. Niebuhr? Yeah. I Bryn Niebuhr have no problem with the allegations against uh, Chef Gabe, who won Top Chef, and I will happily. I can separate the food from the artist personally. I do feel like I, as Bryn, can do that. <laughs> I do feel like this is something, this is a take that Bryn would probably have. <laughs> Good. Um, but the guy that won, but Buddha, who won this season, what a I delight. found 
so endearing and sweet and clearly very technically proficient and creative. And I mean, all of them. And the good thing is that like, I feel like any chef who makes it pretty far on top chef is going to do well in their career. They're going to get funding for their restaurants. And now top chef has been constantly bringing back old top chef people. So there's also like a media personality. You just become a top chef per you just get like back into the mix of that. I mean, they had, you know, Dawn from last season was on this season prominently. So Yeah. I wanna see uh I wanna see Nick more. I liked that guy. Uh, the guy who had Nick. his own um his his like signature seasoning blend. That guy fucking Oh, rules. I loved him. <laughs> he was so sweet. He was so folks cute. at home, if you're not like a top chef person, like the vibe <laughs> of it is extremely like like fine dining oriented it's very like you know these are like serious chefs who make real food and like the the low brownness of a signature seasoning blend is like so not not the vibe but he not only like did that shit but like went really far into the show too i really liked that (laughs) i mean a lot of times they'll talk about how you know the the uh the judges talk about how they they're just like, just make your food and execute it well. And it doesn't matter if it's highbrow or lowbrow or if it's like country cooking. And like Damar too had, you know, theoretically a, a simpler, was more like home cooking, rustic cooking, quote unquote. But he also made it really far. But Nick, I know, was so, he just seemed like such a nice dude, gentle yeah. dude. Makes Wonderful me, character. Yeah. I mean, I loved him all. So that was Top Chef. Good season. That was great. Barry was pretty good. I keep hearing that Barry is really good right now. I watched like the first two episodes of it and I didn't really care for it, but I feel like I need to of give it a Of the first second. season? Yeah. I feel like I need it to give it a try. It gets better. It definitely, I did the same thing. And then the first two seasons are good. It gets really dark. I thought the third season started off, it was like a little too dark. I feel like you really need a balance of some levity or some something so it's not just all bleak. And the character has gone full psycho. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to, whatever. So that, that was fine. I'm just, I only, I actually only want to brush past that because the real thing that I yes, watched. Yes, what is the real thing you watched? <laughs> the real thing. Also, I've been rewatching Larry Sanders. I rewatched all the whole series. Incredible series. I've it's been just watching one of the, Curb, by the way, after you told me that I had to. For the first time? Yeah, I've only watched, I've watched like oh my episodes God. sporadically throughout my life, and I'm like, for the first time ever, like really sit pushing down. myself to like sit down and watch the whole thing. It's great. It's a great it's show. It's so fucking Wonderful funny. Wonderful show. It is so funny. And the newer season, I've been watching the new season, even that is really funny. Yeah, I'm so impressed by how it continuously just gets better in every aspect. Like it's oh, not yeah. only getting funnier and tighter, but also like it looks better every season. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that. it starts off looking like <laughs> shit, but... It's got to be, like, the first season has to be one of the most unacceptably poor-looking <laughs> TV shows I've ever seen. But, like, what year did that come out? It's, it's like I mean, 99. that must Yeah. I think everything kind of looked like crap. But you're you're right. It, it looks like a crappy... Yeah. It looks like, like even shit. for 99, like, it... Because, like, the first Sopranos season is 99, too. And, right. like, you look at look. that and you're like, this cannot looks possibly great. be made yeah. by the same channel. <laughs> That's true. Um... Yeah, fantastic show. You've got a lot a lot to look forward to there. Okay, so I so watched the real the, thing you watched. The new documentary on Netflix about Warren Jeffs and yes. the fundamentalist Mormon church. It's called Keep when Sweet. When we signed off on album or you said you were going to go watch that. Yeah, and then I did. I watched it all in one night um cuz I love cult documentaries and like 
reading. I read that book um, that they also adapted into a Hulu show uh, um, under the banner of heaven. Mm-hmm. Did you read? I don't know if you've ever read that book no, by John no, no. Krakowski, but it's about this murder that takes place in the fundamentalist Mormon church where um, this brother, this there were like three brothers and one of the brothers killed one of the other or two of the brothers conspired and killed one of the, the third brother's wife and an infant child. And it talks about how like in the fundamentalist Mormon church, like they're not part of the Mormon church because they believe in quote unquote plural marriage, mm-hmm. uh, polygamy. And, um, and you know, the actual Mormon church does not do that. Not since like 1904, but they also believe that like they have these visions and they're like, God spoke to me and he said we had to kill our brother's wife because she is an apostate or because she is whatever. And so they, they justify these actions by saying that they've had this vision and God has spoken to them. And I forget what it's called, but that book is crazy. It's Mm. a crazy story. I have not watched the series, but the, the one that I watched that I just watched, keep, keep sweet, pray and obey is told from the perspective of survivors of the fundamentalist Mormon church. These are girls that were raised under Warren Jeffs and, Mm. you know, and so they're, it's all polygamous marriages and women are essentially currency within this cult. And, um, you know, so it's like, there's one part where this woman's talking about how her father only had two wives and he was upset about that because supposedly you have to have at least three wives to be able to go to a certain, wrong you get like of your heaven own, you get something. your own planet after i believe something like that and so he was upset he only had two wives and then he had daughters who were marrying age and then he basically their currency you know he marries off his 12 14 year old daughter to, to an 85 year old man damn and, the, and then he's given another wife wow what is this licorice pizza <laughs> Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson heavily based licorice pizza on the fundamentalist Mormon church. And that's a fact. And you heard it here first from me, Bryn. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a true fact. Um, It's a crazy documentary and it's harrowing and it's really like, it's really fucked up. I mean, so Rulon Jeffs was the original. uh, What are they called? He's like the apostle. He's like the voice of God and he rules over everyone. And so you don't cross him because then you won't go to heaven. And they're raised to believe that like every, you know, they just have to spend their whole time on earth trying not to go to hell or trying to go to heaven. And you want to go to heaven. That's the place you want to be. That's the place you want to be in theory. Um, So yeah, it's crazy. And it's these women talking about how they escaped talking about what they went through. Like one woman got married to was, was forcibly married to her cousin and then raped, of course. And, uh, and ultimately escaped, but it's also just like, you know, they escape and they have no understanding of the outside world. They've been totally sequestered. Like they, you know, at one point Warren Jeffs, who is the real cult leader that turned it even worse. I mean, it already was really bad. They already were doing plural marriages with children. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's just like tearing apart families. You know, if he's threatened by certain men in the religion, then he kicks them out and then he reassigns their wife, their wives and children um, to different men. And they're just like, you know, there were there's a part where they talk about how he stood up one day and he read off a list of like six men. And he's like, they are apostates and they're kicked out of the church and all of their wives and children are reassigned. Don't even Mm -hmm. say goodbye. Just get out. 
Like, what, and but these, what does that mean reassigned? Like, are they like married to the church essentially? Like you don't marry a single man, you marry the church and you can be well, like, kind of like moved around. No, you do marry a single man, but then Warren Jeffs, the ruler, the, the apostle, mm-hmm. uh, he can, he can reassign you to someone else. So if your husband is deemed, I think an apostate to the church, then he'll be like, you're out of the religion and your wives will be, I will choose who your wives get remarried to because he ordains all of the marriages. He chooses the marriages because you know, it's who God tells him you're supposed to be married to sure, what's yeah. supposed to happen. And, uh, it's a crazy story. And he ended up like going on the lamb with a few of his favorite wives and like, yeah, going so what to happens Vegas. to him? What would, well, what, he's in jail. He's in jail. Okay. He's in jail. He, well, ultimately they, in, they invaded the compound uh, he built this like super temple, this mm-hmm. giant compound, and they invaded it. And they have pictures. And they found they they cracked a safe open uh, that had like videos, tapes of him um, raping a twelve year old girl in front of like his sister wives and saying like God has ordained this. So this is so you you know for your salvation. Mm-hmm. It's like crazy shit. I mean, they had document so much documentation of all this stuff going on, and he had ordained, I mean, many marriages between old men and young girls. It's just, and you know, like everything, everything about the story is crazy. And they had to have these bouffants and they all had to wear these certain dresses. And it's just, it's an insane documentary. And I had read about the the church before, but, and there have been other documentaries about Warren Jeffs, but mm-hmm. I, I haven't, I hadn't seen them, but, um, it's it's really great. It's it is harrowing and certainly triggering if you are someone who uh, has de- dealt with sexual assault and rape and all these things. So yeah, you know, it's not easy watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a not a light throw it on before bed sort of a sort of a viewing experience. Not unless you're me, Bryn, and then <laughs> and then it is. Who loves documentaries about <laughs> rape? <laughs> I can't sleep unless I watched a rape documentary. You know. <laughs> I just wrap my curls and I, I drink it all in. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so that's what I've watched. Wonderful. Uh, now you, Brian, ask me what I watched this and week. And you, my friend Jeremy? <laughs> what, what have you watched, friend? <laughs> Thank you for asking. Uh, this week I watched the Hulu original miniseries Pistol, which is a, uh, a biographical drama about uh, the Sex Pistols. Mm. It's created by Danny Boyle. Oh, cool! Famed director Danny Boyle uh, decided to uh, try decided to make the move to to, to streaming television. Sure, um, we were all waiting on it. We were all waiting on it. Well, it's Danny. It when's like, it going to happen? Well, it feels like every prestigious like director, actor, like everybody. It feels like it's always kind of a ticking clock now with everything moving towards streaming and more towards series and stuff. Everything is kind of like, when's it going to happen? Like it's right. going to happen for everybody. When's it going to happen for you? All right, John Waters, what's up? What's up, John Waters? Why don't you make more stuff? <laughs> make stuff. Come on. He's too content being a media figure, I feel. He just likes to show up in stuff sometimes. He, he does do his like, speaking engagements and whatever. Yeah, he loves it. He seems like he's got a great life. He lives in Baltimore. He just wants to stay there. Like He has a place in New York City. Like He's chilling. He's he doing probably fine. has a place in P-Town. I saw him in P-Town one time. I'm so um, curious, like where where the bulk of his money comes from, because none of like I guess hairspray is probably 
a huge cash cow. It got adapted into a Broadway show. And then they that made got a remake into a movie. Yeah, yeah. So certainly that a lot of money has come from that. He's done a lot of books. He does do tons of speaking engagements. I went to see him at City Winery, and it, I think it was sold out in the main mm. room. I feel like you know he does a whole tour around Christmas. He does like all his Christmas shows. So I don't know. I guess he. I think he's got his hand in a lot of pies, and maybe he just invested wisely. Um, who knows? Who knows? Well, Pistol, the Hulu original series about the Sex Pistols by Danny Boyle, uh, stars the kid from Love Actually. Um, I've never seen that movie. You've never seen it? Uh, no. Well, he's a child actor who's now an adult actor and kind of having a bit of a career resurgence. Did you see um, uh, the the Queen's Gambit? Yes. Did you watch that? The chess TV show? Yes. He plays the weird uh, skinny guy who wears a leather duster all the time. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, yes. Right. That, that strange sort of looking man. Strange looking. Yes, yes, yes. Sort of yeah. elven uh-huh, exactly, vibe. yes. Uh-huh. He's a classic uh, adult child actor, right? He's right. got all the yeah. child features, Peter Pan. but now he's an adult. <laughs> he literally looks like Peter Pan. Yes. I think he actually did play Peter Pan once, which might be actually what you're accessing right now. <laughs> Uh, what am I, Bryn, accessing Pam. underneath all these girls? <laughs> Hard to uh, say. So it starts him as as uh, Malcolm McLaren, and then I think everybody else is like fairly unknown. I'm looking at the 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 Wikipedia page, and most of these guys don't even have a, a page of their very own. Aw, uh, um, let's get him a page. Let's get him a page. Give Anson him a page. Boone, who played Johnny Rotten, Jacob Slater, who played Paul Cook. Uh, it's um it's an interesting series because it is uh it very much falls into all of what you expect from a a biographical drama about a band. There's a whole lot of like starry-eyed dreamers who want to be course. rock stars. There's there's several different yeah. versions of the scene where somebody's playing an iconic riff but just one note off and right. then someone's and like or you ought to play that a little slower. <laughs> and they're like, like this. And they're like, yeah, yeah like the famous yeah. song. Yeah. <laughs> just play it. And then they put on a record of the song. Yeah. And they're like, just play it like this, like how we did it in the future from now. Yeah. Uh, so that stuff is pretty weak. Um, there's tons of that stuff. Uh, so that's kind of a bummer. Stuff that's really good in it, though, is uh, it depicts live punk music really well. Like, the shows actually look really fun. And, like, concerts are so hard to do in those kind of movies because I feel like you're always doing a big band, you know? Right. And so you're always showing, like, a huge venue. And right, right, right. Like, it, you Not know, like you, a shitty club show. Exactly. And you can't really show the energy of a live experience because you're just covering the stage and the stage is really high and everybody's really low and in the dark and whatever. Right. This, you know, the Sex Pistols, like, their biggest show ever was, like, a small theater. And they, and they like, really presented that I think I've been to that, that the theater. It's in, like, Salt... No, 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 it's not in Utah. San it's Francisco, in, I believe. Oh, maybe that's not what I'm thinking of then. There was one that's, like, in the middle of the country that Run the Jewels played at. Uh, a friend of the podcast, Emily Panic's husband, played there. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> um, Husband, not friend of the podcast. <laughs> He's not a friend. He's sort of an acquaintance of the podcast, I'd say. Sort of a tertiary third party of the podcast. Uh, anyway, I, but that was like their big claim to fame is that the Sex Pistols played like maybe their last show there or maybe their first oh, show there. 
if it's the last show, then this is what I'm thinking of, and I'm just wrong that it's in San Francisco. Anyway, the point is, um, these small clubs look really good, like, because of the small nature of them, you're able to film from within the crowd really well, and, Mm. like, the guys who play the band, I mean, it seems like they're not real actors, like, they're, you know, they're probably coming from some sort of musical background like they look right. really good on well maybe stage. that's why they were cast maybe it's like they just did good casting because that's true i mean actors a lot of actors are shitty at portraying playing instruments and mm-hmm. performing that type of thing on stage i feel like slc punk did i mean i haven't seen that movie in so long but i feel like they did a good job of like a small sh- club show that's mm-hmm. kind of like boisterous and stuff yeah um the other thing that's really good about it, though, is that because of like how contrived the band themselves actually are, and like how much how image conscious they really were at the time, and how like manufactured every single angle of them was, like some of the contrived you know band biopic things actually feel really natural because that's mm. actually how it happened. You know, like it, it it feels stilted and weird a lot of the time, but you're like, I bet it really was actually like that because these guys are. A, kind of a joke and like you know Malcolm McCle- like I don't know if you know I don't know that much all. about them they honestly. were um it's the guy Malcolm McLaren is their uh, manager and mm. he is uh like he's the manager of the New York Dolls I believe and then he moves to England to open a store called Sex oh yes and- with uh What's her name? Vivian Westwood. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Sex is a is just a fashion brand that they're doing, and they're basically like making punk fashion, right? Yeah. Which they stole from uh, um, the guy from the uh, Richard Hell. So Richard oh. Hell in New York is the guy who's got like the spiky hair and like the patched up clothes and whatever. And they basically just see him and they're like, "What if we go to England and sell this?" Yeah. And so they do. And uh, all these weird freaks start hanging out around the store because they have a jukebox and it's just kind of like a, a social scene. And yeah. they'll start wearing the clothes of the store and whatever. And so they're like, what if we made a whole thing out of this? Yeah, what if we made a band? What if we made a band? Yeah, and yeah. there's and, and basically like most of the people in the band can't even play. And so they're like learning to play as they're manufacturing this band. Johnny Rotten is just a, like a weird, weird guy with like fucked up eyes. And that's why they pick him, you know? <laughs> like... Right. Everything about these guys is like manufactured completely from like, what do they look Just like? How are image. they going to look yeah. on stage? Yeah. I really um, didn't know that. I like, I've heard rumblings of it recently, probably because this series came out, but you know, mm-hmm. historically I did, I, I never knew that. Like I yeah. grew up, you know, listening to Nevermind the Bollocks or whatever. My dad liked the Sex Pistols, but I mm-hmm. just didn't know that. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that like ultimately, like they got these guys together for the purpose of image, right? But like they're all guys who ended up being in a band for real, you know? Like the band played and they wrote songs and stuff. So like it's almost kind of even more impressive in some ways that like picking these guys for these reasons resulted in an album that's like pretty fucking good and, yeah. and you know, like... You said they did write the songs. They wrote. Their they did own write songs. their songs. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So that's yeah. That's different than every other boy band. Right. It's like uh, it's more like a Lincoln Park scenario. I believe <laughs> Lincoln Park was like this too, where like I didn't a couple know that of the either. guys. I think a couple of those guys were in a band together, and then a couple of the other guys were in a different band together, and their label put them all together into one group. Right. Hmm. But I could be wrong about that. I might have just made that up. So the series <laughs> as a as a whole, did you enjoy it? Would you yes. recommend it? I would recommend it. I think that um, 
the other thing that's really cool about it because it's Danny Boyle, it is visually insane. There's, There's a lot full of, of zombies. Like, it's well, it's a lot of that like 28 Days Later sort of like really high contrast, shaky like stuff uh-huh. looks insane a lot right. of the time. Like. I'm trying to think of like there's a scene where they're like in a car chase uh, at the beginning before they're a band and like the way it's filmed is like unlike anything I've seen before he's like picking angles that are like why would you pick this angle but it Uh works like it just looks like complete hell all the time and it's crazy. (laughs) And you think that's like what he was trying to convey is definitely because it's the sex pistols and it's like. They like their aesthetic was so collage oriented that I think that's kind of what he's going for. It like cuts away to um, like footage of of like newscasts and like television shows and whatever from the time period all the time. It's interesting. Mm. I think it's pretty good. Cool. Um, and it's short. It's it's short, and there won't be any more of it because everybody dies. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> well. <laughs> It's opening the door again for 28 days after the Sex Pistols. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> when Sid Vicious comes back to life. I also appreciate very much that they make Sid and Nancy look like complete garbage because that's... You mean like physically? Like they look like shit or they just... And also they look like idiots. And right, right, right. Like a big part of what Like I've this is never... not aspirational. Exactly. They are like actually garbage people who suck. They, they get portrayed so romantically so often as yeah. like these like star-crossed lovers who were like yeah, punk like rock that's... love and whatever like... Machine Gun Kelly and uh, what's her name? Megan. Yeah. McCain. Fox. Megan Fox. (laughs) I feel like that's like their, I I feel like that's how they try to like, they're like, this is our aesthetic. We're kind of like fucked up or like Sid and Nancy, but you know, love holds us together and it's rough and it's brutal, but like. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's so stupid. Um, But they look like complete idiots in this and are constantly (laughs) saying the dumbest things you could (laughs) say and then they murder each other and then it's over. (laughs) So now uh, let's move on to our feature presentation, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is something that I said last week and realized I don't know why I hadn't been saying it the whole time. Makes a lot of sense. It really, truly does. It's <laughs> like um, when we uh, started Ballin' Out Super and for like a couple months we were rating things out of 10 until one day somebody was like, you know there's seven Dragon Balls on the show. Why don't you do it out of seven? <laughs> and we were like, wow. <laughs> it's because of your conditioning. Because society so... tells you that 10 is a round number. That exactly. You, uh... Society puts us in these fucking boxes. Yep. Where we think things should be divisible by 10. Why? Thank, what thank makes God it a I, round number? Exactly. Know? Why? Who's Why who's, is that round? Who's setting eight, these numbers? Eight is rounder. There's two round parts. That's right. And those round parts can be subdivided more easily than five. Yes. Well, into round. Who even came up with fractions? The whole the system is bullshit. And until we completely <laughs> overhaul it, we'll never have an accurate way to rate anything. The system's fucking broken. I think we can all agree. So this week we watched My Best Friend's Wedding from 1997, starring Julia Roberts, Dermot Mulroney, and yep. Cameron Diaz. That's right. And, and uh, Rupert Everett. Rupert Everett. How could how could I forget? Uh, it's right here in front of me. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's directed by PJ Hogan, who mm-hmm. I don't Did know. Muriel's uh, Wedding. Yeah, Muriel's Wedding is the only other thing on here that I've even heard of, and why like this had to have been a pretty successful movie right 
Yes. Uh, very yes, it was. Successful. <laughs> it was. So what do you, do you know much about, this was your pick. Yes. Um, uh, what do you know? Well, I read, there's a Vulture article that came out recently um, that was an oral history of the making of this movie. So I know a whole lot because I read it when it, when the article came out and I reread it again last night after watching the movie again. And mm. I saw this movie in the theater, which is kind of crazy because I was born in 1995. So I really didn't totally understand <laughs> what all was going on. <laughs> you know, it was over my head yeah, at that age. Just um, two years old. No, I was... <laughs> I was 10 when I went to see this movie, but I remember that me and my friend went to see it. I think I think that we had intended to see something else and then, I don't know, it was sold out or something. So we went to see my best friend's wedding and we must have been 10 or 11. Um, and so rewatching it now, I just, I didn't fully catch everything that was going on, of course. Right. At the time. And even like, I, I noticed stuff last night that I hadn't seen even the last time I watched it a few years ago. So there's a lot of layers. A lot um, of layers. So what I know is that this screenwriter, um, something Bass. Ronald, Ronald Bass. Ron Bass wrote this movie. Uh, he wrote a bunch of other, he wrote Stepmom, which Julia Roberts starred in later. And uh, Huge movie, that one. Yes. He wrote a bunch of big movies and I didn't write down what they were. But so he wrote this and he, I think, I think he was the one that wanted to go to this director, PJ Hogan, because he had seen Muriel's wedding and really liked what that basically the protagonist Muriel is not likable, Mm -hmm. you know, and it sort of is a twist on the, the rom-com format. And, um, and so he wanted that same guy to direct this movie because the Julia Roberts character was obviously going to be this very dark, unlikable character. Yeah. So, so we went to PJ Hogan and then of course they were like, who do we cast as this, you know, who can handle this character who people are not going to completely turn on. And, um, they came up with Julia Roberts and she was down to clown. She was like, let's get dark. Uh, but you know, so they geared this whole movie around her and she had a lot of creative say she had a final approval on casting. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. What would, I mean, was she a huge name at that point? Yes. She had been in uh, Pretty Woman, had been a huge okay, yeah. hit for her in ninety in 1990. Yeah. And then we got Hook. She was in Hook. She's in Hook. She was in a, um, a Who few is she in things. Hook? She's Tinkerbell. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's a pretty big movie. Pelican Brief is a pretty big movie. Yeah. She, she's doing okay. She was doing really well. She was a huge star. And, and she's a big I, enough star that the next movie she does is Notting Hill, which the premise of which is she's a really big star. <laughs> right. Yeah. And she had conspiracy theory coming out at the same time as this movie. So so they bring her in. And um, I mean, there's a lot that the, that the oral history says about the casting, which is that like apparently uh, Russell Crowe, the the director really wanted Russell Crowe cast. He had just been in this movie Proof. Mm-hmm. And I think the director's wife had directed Proof. And he was like, Russell is going to be a huge actor. He's going to be a huge name. I like. He really wanted him to play the romantic 
to play the Michael character. Yeah. And then apparently he came in and did a table read that was so disastrous and bad where he like, I, I wrote it, I, I took a quote. He said like, I d- quote, I don't know what went wrong, says Hogan. It was one of the worst table reads I've ever experienced. Russell was seated opposite Julia. He gripped that script and he stared at that script and he didn't look at her once. He read every line in a monotone. At one point, Julia was literally leaning over the table, staring like inches from Russell's face, trying to make eye contact, and he wouldn't look at her. At at the end of the reading, Russell came up to me and said, I thought that went pretty well. And then I knew Russell was not going to be in my best friend's wedding. Wow. I wonder what turned around for him. I mean, Because the question is, was it stage fright? Or nerves or general nerves or was it that like he found Julie Roberts so fucking hot that he was like <laughs> I just can't even like if I if I even look at her I'm gonna just lose it well it's funny because I mean the way he tells it is that Russell was like yeah I mean I, I actually don't know how to read that line that like that went well I thought because I'm like mm-hmm. was he just so uh, does he just lack such self-awareness that he was like I think that went I think that went pretty well Go boy me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was a dingo. Uh, I don't <laughs> Classic Australian slang. <laughs> that was a dingo. <laughs> that's what they that's what they play when they're old there. They play dingo. You go to dingo halls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um so that's really funny. And it's also funny because I have met Russell Crowe and I had mm-hmm. a friend that dated Russell Crowe, and he is just I think he is actually pretty delusional in his life. I mean, he has a band. Uh, there's many music videos. My right, that's Jamie. a thing, right? Is that it's part of his conditions for doing movies that they have to like film a music video for him? I think I may have even... I don't know if I, I told think you, you might that. have told me I that, think yeah. I am the one. Um, so, I, and I don't... I'm pretty sure that that's true. <laughs> I mean, he'd be a perfect Michael then. That's kind of exactly what this character is, right? Is just kind of like a delusional... Like, uh, I think I think the character of Michael is less delusional and just more a little bit dense, you know. That's how I mean. My, even dense is I like dense and delusional is kind of nitpicking, but like I almost feel like I was watching this movie with the sense that like he is kind of a bit of a fuck boy. Like he definitely is a bit of like like he knows what the fuck he's doing in this. There are many, I mean, him putting Julia Roberts' finger in his mouth to yeah. pull off the wedding ring is like get lost, like, my man. Me? I I know what you're doing here. Holy shit. I mean, yeah, he's very I think I think Dermot Mulroney, I mean, I found him very dreamy in this movie. Even though mm-hmm. yes, he's kind of a fuck boy and he's kind of dumb and either he's dense or he's intentionally misreading the fact that Julia Roberts is very, is laying it on real thick. Yeah. And, and but to, 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 to miss it for that many years, come on. I mean, well, it seems like, like she for was many, hiding it more or whatever. She like she even, wasn't even into it. It wasn't until she found out that he was getting married to someone else that she was like, Oh no, mm-hmm. he adored me, you know? Yes. So, okay, so let's go through the plot of this. Um, we open in New York City. Julia Roberts is a food critic. It's never going to come up again. I don't know why it's in the movie. It comes up It comes up one... Okay, no, actually, it comes up a couple more times. It comes times. up a few times, but not in a way that, like... Like, well, I was expecting at some stage for there to be, like, so, some use for this in the plot where, like, she's going like, right, to, like, right, have to right, taste right. something or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're totally right. 
Um, like maybe she'd a- save the day by like their caterer falls out and she's like, I know the best restaurant in Chicago. Right. I reviewed yeah, it. Yeah, anything, <laughs> anything, but no. Okay, every aspect of her being a food writer is so ridiculous. The opening scene, first of all, I because food writers, they wear disguises. Mm-hmm. They do not announce themselves, and, and they try not to have their photos out there because what they want when they go to a restaurant is the authentic experience that everyone else has. So they want to just, they, they. it's like, um, it's like the, uh, what's it called? The, like... The, the people that show up at restaurants and bars unannounced and then mm. give it a health Health score. inspector, yeah. Yeah, health inspectors. It's like that. <laughs> it's sort of like that. Like, uh, what's his name? The They're New kind York of like t- taste inspectors in a way. <laughs> They're taste inspectors. And they I've read articles where they literally will go in incognito. They wear disguises. They bring a beard, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they'll go a couple times. And in the opening scene of this movie, everybody like in the kitchen is like peering Whoa. through the window, being like, what's she going to say? Like, they all know who she is. So they're putting on their best food, putting out and their it's, very and best And it's food. also funny that like she's supposed to be 28 years old and like this advanced of a food writer that like the right. restaurant is like terrified of what she'll do to them. You know? Right. I know. And, and then after she tastes the bite, she's like, I'm going to say... This, this, this. And she says it out loud. And then, like, the server is like, yes. And then they yeah, go to the kitchen. We're all and they're good like, guys. And I'm like, what about when she does a negative review? Does she say, I'm going to say this tasted like sewage. And <laughs> I would rather stab myself in the eyes than ever come back here to this establishment. Yeah. And then um, they're like, <laughs> they're looking at the kitchen. I also how fucking like, retro the food looked. Like, even for 1997, <laughs> that looked a little... Dated right. the way that like it was like a pile of right. like, They're like, this the is steak fancy on the food. top like a flower. <laughs> yeah. Which from Top Chef, callback, we know, you know, how dated how quickly food trends move. Yes. Um so she's she's sitting with um uh her, her gay best friend and he asks uh she says something about her friend Michael wants to call her and he's like, Who's Michael? And she's like, Let me tell you everything about Michael. <laughs> He's she my does, like, Michael. The biggest info dump I think I've ever seen in the first five <laughs> minutes of a movie. <laughs> Exposition. She just like gives you everything you need to know. He's we we went to college together. We dated for like a hot month, and right. then uh, we didn't date anymore. But we stayed best friends. We've traveled a lot together. We've done a lot together. Uh, now we live cross country from each other. We check in every couple of months, and that's what our relationship is like. The fact that they only dated for a month is really something that I wish they would hit harder later. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. Um, he, uh, she she takes the phone call with Michael. Michael says, I met somebody. Or no, sorry. Uh, gay best friend is like, didn't you guys have some sort of an agreement? And she says, why, yes, right. we did. Yeah, this person that you don't remember having heard about, which is why I just told you all this information. But somehow you know that, yeah. that we had this agreement after one month of dating yeah that, that we agreed s- someday when we're 28 if neither of us are married by 28 <laughs> sure which is the i mean if you're listening to this podcast and you're over 28 and you're not married babe put the podcast down get a makeover get a man get out there get you're find your call your old best friend <laughs> okay break up the, his marriage or her marriage just get in there because you're in there. 28 is too old. You're dying on the vine. (laughs) 
And this is me, Bryn, saying that. <laughs> by the way. By the way. As I will uh, keep reminding you, this is Bryn. And these are my feelings and thoughts and opinions. And so... So so they're they're turning 28 this year. She remembers this agreement they had to marry at 28 and she's like is that why he's calling she, me? Yeah, she assumes and I think that, that kind of why. like shakes the tree a little bit and yes. kind of like unearths all these feelings and then he calls and he's like guess what? I met somebody. We're getting married. We're getting yeah. married on Friday no less. Yes. And I, I would love to just point out a couple things here. First of all, she hears that he's getting married. She falls off the bed. Mm-hmm. I forgot to research if Clueless came out before or after this because it feels very Cher falling off the bed and Clueless, like rolling yes. off. But also, they do physical gags like that in the movie, like five or six times. She, there's a scene where she runs into a waiter and like his tray goes flying. There's a, yeah. two scenes where she runs into somebody. There's a scene where she falls backwards in the chair. Um there's one where did any of like, them do anything for you? What did any of them do anything for you? Did it, did you get a did it get a laugh anytime? Oh, um, no, not well. No, maybe the one where she runs out of the elevator because that really is like a pressure. It's like they're building up that pressure in the elevator, and then all of a sudden she like so that's yeah. kind of funny. But it just ha- happens so many times. He opens the door. It's like. I'm like, why do you keep doing this gag? Okay, that's the first thing I want to point out, which, whatever, we'll talk about that, I guess. We don't have to talk about it later, but um, (laughs) the other thing is that she's like, you're getting married in, like, four days or something? And I'm like, the amount of time it seems like has passed, like, the amount of time they spend together, it feels like two weeks or something. The, The time distortion is very strange, but I also, we're both married people. We both were getting married around the same time, and we both were planning. I remember talking about wedding planning uh, the first time you were on Ballin' Out with me. And the very idea of, like, planning this wedding in that short of a time, because there's only two versions of reality here, right? There's either they're planning this thing, like, breakneck speed, mm-hmm. which is insane, and there's <clears throat> no way that this cool wedding would come together like that. There's fireworks when they drive away. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so either they're planning the perfect wedding on, like, a couple weeks' notice, or the other version of this is that he really didn't have Julie Roberts in mind to have come to the wedding at all. Yeah. And was letting her know now. And she's like, oh, okay, I guess I'm coming to a wedding this weekend. Well, I do think that is sort of what happened. Um, because he's like, I've been trying to get a hold of you for weeks mm. or something. Which I'm also like, why are you ignoring someone's call for literal weeks? That's yeah. kind of insane. But okay. Um, but... Uh, but there still were details like the fact that there's a scene where he's getting fitted for a suit very casually. And it's like, the suit is not even made. And yes. it's like two days before a wedding. And I'm like, no, what are you this doing? This shit is done months out. Like, and she's shopping for like China, you know, they're, they're walking through looking at China. I'm like, yeah. you would have had this on your registry six months ago. This is not something that you're doing days before a wedding. No, they're just trying to, I mean, I guess they're trying to just like cram it for pressure purposes into a shorter timeline, but I would have believed two weeks anyway, you know, but then I guess they're like trying to cut off our asking like, can she take two weeks off of work? Right. (laughs) Well, it's just, I feel like there's a way they could have been like, okay, I've been trying to reach you for weeks or months and you never got back to me. And for whatever reason, I didn't send a paper invite or I don't know. Yeah. We planned this wedding. Her family's rich. So they planned it last minute. Fine. Yeah. You know but, what would have been an, an easy fix for this if uh, they didn't 
add the element of like when we're 28 if we're not married we'll get married if instead the 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 onus for this conversation was her saying i've been avoiding him for months he's getting married and right i still have feelings for him right 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 that's right. good enough that would yeah. have been fine if anything that's, fine. that's a little more realistic <laughs> totally yeah you didn't need to like do these backflips to find a reason why all of a like yeah they're in this situation like maybe he like corners you instead of like you have to take the phone call maybe he's there yeah he shows up or he shows up or like or whatever maybe he calls from a different number he just happens to catch you at the right, right time and you're caught and you're like fuck all right i guess i gotta yeah. i gotta go to your wedding yeah <laughs> uh so she flies out to chicago and um she resolves instantly to yeah break it up break it up and steal him away because he i i don't know like it's it, it it's something that i'm like thinking a lot about lately about like the limitations of the term love and the way that like w- we have this w- like we have so many different words for like anger and frustration and 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 basically every other emotion that we have we have a bunch of different words for that can like fit into different ways of you feeling that way but mm-hmm. love we really only have like love lust like infatuate like they're you it's know a little bit it's almost like obsessive it's like obsessively narcissistic the way that she looks at this because she says the line um you know for years he adored me and then it's like all of a sudden she feels possessive and yeah. territorial and she's just like, well, and so she gets uh, obsessed with this idea that sh- they have to be together. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh no. But yeah. So, I mean, it is like, it's maybe infatuation because the way that she handles it is sort of, it's insane. Like uh, it's all encompassing. Everything that she does yeah. is just to try to break. And she goes to great lengths. But the thing that I, I, I'm thinking of here is that it's like the, the, like love is like it's not something that you like put on a shelf and like observe you know like which is kind of the way that she treats it in this right is that it's like we had this one month together we were friends for a long time we don't live near each other anymore you check in every couple of months you know that's not love that's a different thing you know it's it's i don't i mean i don't think her motivations are actually love because i think it's all her i mean I think it's all her projecting on this situation. Like, first of all, the fact that they, in this story, set these, like, set this this date by which they, they were, like, it's expected. And this is, like, you know, it's more of what marriage represents by that age. Like, the, mm-hmm. you know, where you're supposed to be in your life. And so I'm, I feel like the Julia character looks at it and then she's like, oh, fuck. You know, A, I, I always thought I had this thing in my back pocket. Now I don't have it. He fell in love with someone else. But also, what does this say about me and where I'm at in my life? I actually thought, well, this is not actually to the same point, but I just remembered that I was like, this is so similar to Bridesmaids. Like, Bridesmaids mm-hmm. is like almost, it's very similar in the dynamics between the people, except, you know, the actual, like, love interest is a non, it's not even, like, like the Tim Heidecker character in, in Bridesmaids uh, is not the point. It's right. just this competitive thing and, uh, you know, the sort of villainy character projecting onto the situation what it means about her. Um, anyway, but, yeah, so I don't know what 
I don't know where I'm going. Oh yeah, with that. so we're in Chicago now, and um, and we're we're meeting up with him at the airport, and we meet his new uh, his new love interest, who is Cameron Diaz. She's twenty. Uh, wow. He's twenty-eight. What is this licorice pizza, <laughs> folks? <laughs> what is this? Six years after licorice pizza. <laughs> I don't. I haven't seen the movie. I don't know what the age gap is. Uh, well, I mean. It, I forget. The age gap is like, she's like 21 and he's like 16 or something. Yeah, And it's like not even romantic, right? It's like, uh, they just hang out. What is it? It's, well, it's kind of, I mean, he is romantic. He feels that way towards her, but mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Well, anyway, uh, so we're in Chicago. We meet Cameron Diaz. She's 20. She's dropping out of college to marry him, basically. Um she drives like a fucking lunatic. Yeah. I don't know why that's in here, but it's like a fun character quirk, I, I really least. thought, I liked how they drew her character because there is also a scene where Julia Roberts says, uh, I'd adore her if I didn't hate her or something. Because mm-hmm. she's like, she's talking about how she's like all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and she's like, but it's not annoying. It's endearing and vulnerable. And if I didn't hate her, I'd adore her or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a great way to sum it up is that, you you know, she's like maybe a little bit of a ditz, and she's a little bit like naive, but she also is like, I find her character very endearing. Yeah, and- she's, she's a much more compelling and interesting character than Julia Roberts, you know? <laughs> like that's kind of where yeah. I end up landing is like, I, I hope she wins. I I had no I, I've never seen this movie before. I didn't know how it was going to end. Yeah, I didn't know where it was going at all. And the moment I basically the moment I met her, I was like, "This bitch is crazy." But also, I hope she <laughs> wins because she's way more fun uh, and For more sure. interesting than Julie Roberts. Um, but so we're kind of like going along with them through various schemes uh, that like. Julia Roberts is like trying all these different angles to try to like drive a wedge between them. Yes. Um, at some stage she like brings her gay friend into Chicago to like try to make him jealous or no he shows up on his no, own yeah he shows up because right? she's like George I need you because also by the way and by and by the way I texted my best gay friend Drew mm-hmm. last night and I was like Drew I Kaufman. asked him what <laughs> Drew Kaufman <laughs> Drew Tobia and uh, I uh, I'm Emily now and I um <laughs> I was like, what do you think about like the Rupert Everett character in my best friend's wedding? Cause I, I watched, obviously I watched this again last night and I was like, he's like the best part. I think he's so mm-hmm. great and funny and charming. And like his whole Dion Warwick story. I mean, it's so funny. His character is great. And so I was asking Drew and he was like, it made a generation of women think they needed a gay best friend and that their gay best friend was going to be this like accommodating guy. Who's like, you know, like, charming and well-dressed and cultured and like all this stuff. And has like nothing better to do than fly out to Chicago to like help you on your dramatic bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Um, But, oh, and we meet her family and her family is like rich and charming and they own the White Sox. And uh, yeah. And that's kind of like whatever. It's not really important, I guess. Um, But so George flies out and he instantly is just like super charming. Everybody loves him. Everybody wants to be around him. Uh, And he's pretending to be her her new fiance. Yeah. I mean, this is after many things that she tries fails. Like, I mean, she's before George flies out, she's trying to I forget if the karaoke scene happens before that. 
Oh yeah, she like tries to humiliate her by like making her sing karaoke in front of a crowd, and she does suck at singing, but she like somehow like works she it in it. such a way that like everybody's like, oh, actually this rules, and I like this. Yeah, this is like fun. actually she's brave. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and basically everything kind of goes that way. She tries to like get Michael to feel like self conscious about his job. Yeah, and then later that's a, a big thing that a lot of stuff yeah. hinges on. Uh, later, she like writes an email to which is hilarious by the way the the portrayal of email <laughs> yeah. in this 90s ass movie yeah send is so out funny. those emails that i had on hold <laughs> yeah. i just i just thought i'd write them over lunch but lunch is not the time to send an email so <laughs> please send them at the end of the day when it is appropriate to do yeah. so go through my my draft <laughs> box and send my emails <laughs> for me <laughs> so funny um, but so, so she writes an email to Michael's job being like, I love, uh, this guy and, uh, uh, I want him to work for me and he shouldn't work for you anymore, but he's like too loyal to you or something. It was some bullshit that like, please fire him for me. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then Michael's job just sends it to him basically. And it's just like, what the fuck is this yeah. about? <laughs> They're like, you should know what you're marrying into. Yeah. And I also, when that scene happened where she wrote the email, which is bonkers, and that's also where she falls backwards in the chair. Yes. <laughs> um, I was like, this would fall apart so easily because your job gets the email. Either maybe they reply to confirm or the person that sent out the email looks or like, or Michael tells her about it and it gets back to her dad. And he's like, I didn't send that fucking email, but Hey, Julia did show up. I mean, not Julia. Oh yeah. No, Julie. Her name is Julia. Right. She like showed up here and wanted to use my email for some reason. So maybe that's why, maybe that's what happened or whatever. I mean, ultimately if both of them say like, I didn't send that email, then it's, it's kind of dead anyway. (laughs) What, what else is like, if if the guy doesn't fire him and and Julianne's parents are like, you know, we didn't write it, then you're like, oh, I guess it was a hacker. I don't know. It's the nineties. Kimmy's Kimmy's dad. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's the nineties. Yeah. Why would a it's hacker the do 90s. this? It's hard, hard to know. Yeah, they you know they had that understanding of you know the limitations of their era. Yeah. Even while it was happening. In <laughs> Even the while 90s. it was happening, everybody knew it was the nineties. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> Um, so then, uh, I don't know, some, some more of this type of business happens and we end up at the wedding. Uh, but, but he calls off the wedding because of the, this because email. of the email, but, uh, doesn't totally call off the wedding. He doesn't tell everybody that he's calling off the wedding cause he wants to go and confront everybody. <laughs> yeah. While it's happening the day. Also, by the way, you know, from the perspective of someone who's been married, I'm like, all right, you guys are having a big brunch the day of the wedding and then you're getting married at six. That's not how that goes you get married in the morning and then you get have a party and then you have brunch the next day exactly brunch the next day of course but also like your whole morning is so fucking occupied like, yeah you've got so much shit to you're do you're taking pictures you're doing final fittings you're getting makeup you're yeah, like even before all that shit you've got to like i mean i don't know what yours was like but we had to like fucking haul stuff to the venue <laughs> um no i had mine no, we I, we were there for like three whole days, and it was all like on site at this one place where we were mm. also staying. So I feel like, but Everything I wrote my vows the morning of, and I was like, Ugh, <laughs> these are good. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it just so all of that doesn't make sense. Uh, 
And yes, he shows up and he's like, I'm going to confront you in front of your family and everyone on our wedding day. On our wedding day. I'm going to make a big fucking scene. Because that's what Julia would do. Yeah. And uh, and Julian is like, Julianne is her name. Yeah. Uh, Julianne is like, finally, uh, I'm just going to tell you because now you're at your most vulnerable point and uh, this marriage looks like it's going to break up. I have to tell you, I love you. I've always loved you. And I was too afraid to say it, but I love you. You should marry me instead. Yeah. And he like very instantly is like, uh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> And then she kisses him, and uh, Drew Barrymore sees it, and she's like... Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz sees it. (laughs) But it's funny you say that, because uh, in the oral history, they talk about how a bunch of actresses auditioned for Kimmy, including... I bet Drew Barrymore was on Including Drew Barrymore, and she was at, like, the top... She was who Julia Roberts wanted um, over Cameron Diaz. Mm -hmm. And then her and the director were like... And then I guess ultimately Julia wanted Dermot Mulroney, Dermot Mulroney cast. So she was like, all right, you can have Cameron if we can have Dermot. Yeah, I feel like that's why I get them mixed up all the time is they were probably constantly like going out for the same. Because they're the same, like, they don't look very similar, but they're like of the same like casting call. I guess so. I mean, I never thought of, I feel like Cameron Diaz got cast at that time, like, you know, in The Mask, for instance. She's like this bombshell, blonde, hottie. Yeah. And Drew was always a little bit more quirky and I think probably could have been, had a broader, like, you know, array of roles that she could be cast for. Yeah, I guess you're right. Although, but, I don't know, Cameron Diaz got a lot of, she was in a lot of stuff, but, but I guess it is kind of always like a, like, hotness first sort yeah, of. Yeah, like, a, there's something about Mary. Role. Drew could never. Yeah, although in this, I guess it's like, she is kind of supposed to be like the, 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 the hotness factor is kind of like secondary, but you're supposed to be very presently aware of it because this is a big part of it. Um, Because ultimately this, this whole movie is about the tension between blondes and brunettes. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is a, a, a horror film for brunettes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, Julia Roberts is sort of a redhead though. She's like, I guess so. she's yeah, an she's, Auburn. She's an Auburn. She's in her own category and she's Julia Roberts. She can pull. Yeah. Yeah. She's not merely a brunette. She's not a garbage person <laughs> like me and the other her powers brunettes. are not limited in that way. <laughs> no. Um, we skipped over it, but I just do want to touch on very briefly the story that George tells when he does come in. Cause George, yeah, George is like always the conscience of this movie. Like she calls him and he to, I think to the credit of the writing, is like you lost, babe. Like, yeah. like at the at, in that end scene that you we were just talking about, where Julia Roberts kisses Dermot Mulroney, and then uh, I'm gonna switch over to the character names. Then Kimmy sees, and then so Michael is chasing Kimmy, and Julianne is chasing both of them. Yeah, and and he gets the best line of the movie easily. Who? Uh, the the gay best friend when he's oh on he the phone who's with chasing her. you? Yeah, who's chasing you? Get it? Like, yeah. No, it's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, he's not just showing up to be like, okay, here. At first, he's like, yeah, here's what you can do to break them up. But even the whole time, he's like, you could not. You could stop doing this. Yeah, you could uh, come back to New York and meet somebody. Yeah. um, You know, try to do it that way. Yeah, sort of more traditional route. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, who's chasing you as she like has stolen a bread truck? 
Yeah. <laughs> Just but absolute <laughs> lunacy at the end. It is so slapstick. Yeah. Um, and they get they get into a whole big car chase. But you were you were about to say about there's a, yeah. Um, so the scene where the he comes he in when he flies in and and he's pretending to be her fiance. He really does it with a plum. It's very funny. It's so funny. He like slaps her ass. Yeah, he <laughs> so slaps funny. like Kimmy's ass, and everybody's like ah, and he's like ah. The kind of thing that you like only get away with as a gay if you man, are gay, but like. But he's able to like own it in such a way where everyone's like, I guess he's like <laughs> gay straight or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, but he tells a story about meeting her in a mental institution when he was there to visit Dionne Warwick and like <laughs> and she had just come out of electroshock therapy and he's like, Who is this vision? It's just so funny. I'm like, really I never fantastic stuff. I never paid enough attention to that whole monologue before because I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, it's so very good. Funny. And then they all start singing. Um, uh, I say a little prayer. Say a little prayer. And this is, um, I talked about this on the bonus episode. Uh, it's a it's a real pet peeve of mine in movies when like something big and, and noticeable is happening in a scene and no extra is reacting to it at all. Right, right, right. It drove they're not me like, insane in this movie. <laughs> like they're all singing so loud and like, clapping yeah, yeah, yeah. and getting up and literally everybody around them is just like eating dinner like nothing is happening until the end when it's like clearly the director was like okay everybody's into it now and you see the the fucking waiters in the back with their uh, lobster hands on for yeah, some yeah. reason <laughs> yeah it's so goofy and in the oral history pj hogan says quote uh, or it says, as he saw it, my best friend's wedding wouldn't just be a romantic comedy. It would be a stealth musical, mm. albeit one where the musical numbers would be parceled out sparingly enough that audiences wouldn't even consciously notice it. That's the reason why uh, it opens with the dreamy candy colored rendition, quote unquote, of wishing and hoping. And then, you know, the karaoke scene, there's the scene where the kids all take the, um, the, they suck on the balloons, the helium. Oh, yeah, the helium yeah, and and in the helium something. voice, they're harmonizing. Um, there's many different singing scenes. So that's all by design, obviously. Yeah, fascinating stuff. I loved the opening number. I thought that was great. And it yeah. looked really cool. It was it a looked very amazing. Like, visually stunning little thing to put in the beginning of a stupid rom-com. <laughs> I mean, they, they used to do that much more often in movies i feel like they had this whole self-contained intro that was really long before yeah. you even started the movie i'm thinking of um i was thinking of do the right thing i don't know that starts with um um rosie perez uh dancing to fight the power yeah it's like they they would do and oftentimes they would even just do like an animated sequence that's like five minutes long mm-hmm. with all the credits yeah yeah that shit should come back. It should come back. Um, it's cool. So anyway, so we're 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 in the car chase now. They're they're going she, through Chicago. Stolen a bread uh, truck. She's chasing. She's stolen Michael. a bread truck to chase them. They go uh, to the train station where mm-hmm. uh, he like is gonna get on a train, but then doesn't. And they talk for a minute, and she's <clears> like, "I'm sorry. I'm a piece of shit. I fucked up. This is bad. Yeah, I'll help you. I'll get help her back." You. And then where does she where does she find her? Is that the at the Bears Stadium, right? Um, yeah. So she so Julia they like split up. She's like, you go to all the normal places, and so she calls the one of the slutty cousins, which there are yes. these two characters. One of them also is a, in, a from Muriel's wedding. What? They are a delight. The both of them, I love them. Yes. <clears throat> and one of them is the is the woman who gets like who ends up in a wheelchair in, in Muriel's wedding. Um, mm-hmm. 
Anyway. Uh, yeah, she calls the slutty cousin. The other slutty cousin has gotten her tongue stuck to an ice sculpture because she was trying to lick the penis of like a sculpture of it's David. It's a sculpture of David, yeah. yeah. It's an ice sculpture of David. <laughs> and it's like a whole thing. And I'm like, sure, let's put that in the movie. So she answers the phone, very blase. And she's like, oh, you know, my slutty sister, she got her tongue stuck. And then she's like, you know, I did get a, a tip. Some someone called me and said they saw her in the bathroom, and I was like, "Well, that sounds weird." Yeah, like, didn't think to call anybody. <laughs> didn't think to call anybody, but also, who, who, what random person is calling you of all people to be like, "I saw her. I saw Kimmy in the bathroom." She's at the Bears game, crying in the bathroom. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, but okay. So we go to the bathroom, and that's where they have their big standoff. Yeah, and and this is a scene where the extras are responding. And oh, we yes. cut past the same three extras like five different yeah, times yeah, yeah. for reactions. Uh, they have a big blowout fight. And then uh, I don't remember what happens. So um, it's like, and and by the way, in the oral history, they talk about how they had shot a different ending. And the different ending was that Julia Roberts, like, I guess everything comes to a head and she kisses Michael. But then she just apologizes and Kimmy immediately forgives her. And then I guess they like, it's all forgiven. And it ends with like Julia Roberts dancing at the wedding or something. Oh, that's way worse. And test audiences were like, fuck you. Yeah. Absolutely not. They responded really poorly. And they they later determined that it was the ending that they didn't like less than the movie. You know, they were like, they enjoy the movie. Um, So they they reshot an ending. They had to fix it last minute. And, uh, and, you know, they ended with what they ended with. So the standoff Mm -hmm. scene came out of that rewrite. Um once the whole movie had been shot and it's like, finally Kimmy gets to say her piece and she's like, tell, you know, she actually is just like, shut up. She calls her out for all the, for some of the shit she did. She's like, you kissed my fiance at my house on my wedding day. And all the women are like, who have, of course. And by the way, men don't realize how often this happens in women's bathrooms. That's actually, that's where we go for conflict resolution. You go to a woman's bathroom and it's Mm -hmm. the other secondary women's duties duties to um to stand nearby and go ooh yeah to go mm no (laughs) no (laughs) and again this labor as it often does in our society falls on black women primarily of course yes (laughs) for reaction (laughs) shots for too long that's why they made the gifts (laughs) digital blackface um (laughs) But this was before the, all of that. But yeah, so all the women in the bathroom are like, no. And, you know, Kimmy, like, finally, like, rips into her. And she's like, I'm not let, losing my man to some big-haired food writer. Um, and that's the second time it comes up, I believe. Oh, but then there's one There's one other scene. I can't remember where it is. I actually took notes on my phone, and I'm not looking at my phone. Anyway, but there's a part where Julia Roberts says to, to Kimmy... Oh, oh, it's it's earlier because Julia is the one that has to go to Kimmy and be like, Kimmy, you need to tell your family that the wedding's off mm-hmm. on her wedding day. And Kimmy's distraught. And she was like, I was just hoping it wouldn't be true. And it's like so fucked up. Um, but she's like, Kimmy, you know, I'm, I'm really better at food metaphors. And mm. she's like, Michael, you know, you're like creme brulee and you're perfect and blah, blah, blah. But Michael oh, yeah. just likes jello. And she's like, I can be jello. And she's like, no, you, you can never be jello. You can never be jello. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. This is why you get paid the big bucks as a food writer for this fucking jello creme brulee <laughs> metaphor? No. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, Although it did make me think 
wouldn't it be nice to have jello with a brulee on the top? <laughs> I definitely imagined creme brulee and jello, and I'm like, you know, I can see that they both have a place in our society. Yes. I'd almost <laughs> always prefer creme brulee, though. I actually really like it when you suspend bananas and jello. That's kind of mm. an interesting texture. But yeah, creme brulee ultimately is way better. Yeah. And let's not even start on pudding. Um, we don't even have time to get into We don't that. have time. We're already uh, over. Um, anyway, yeah, so they have this standoff. And what happens? I guess, does Julia Roberts, like, it, she's like, I think she's like, you won. He wants yeah, you. Yeah, you won. And I think, like, he's, I think she, like, promises to do something at the wedding or something. Like, what does she say? She assures, let's look at the Wikipedia. Jules apologizes, assuring Kimmy that Michael truly loves her. They reconcile. The wedding proceeds, and at the reception, Jules gives a heartfelt speech as Kimmy's maid of honor. I can't believe she's still the maid of honor. I know. (laughs) I know. What's wrong with the slutty cousins? Just have one of them do it. Yeah. That would be funny. (laughs) That would be really funny. That would be way funnier. If it's the one who had her tongue stuck, and And she has to talk with her tongue all fucked up, that would be That'll be a callback. Yeah. Um, like and you could say you could be generous and be like you can still be in the wedding but you're not the maid of honor anymore. Yeah, that exactly. Goes to slutty cousin number two. Yeah, that would be way better. Wait, I'm like everybody just sort of forgave her and she's still there. The things yeah. that she did were fucking psychotic. Just stealing the bread truck, I feel like, <laughs> kind of means like you can't go back to the wedding. <laughs> yeah, and again, that reminded me of. Uh, bridesmaids with her whole meltdown at the party where she grabs the cookie and she's screaming and you know and all of that and like starts like throwing the chocolate and just has this complete meltdown and Maya Rudolph has a much more appropriate response which is like if you're gonna be this way don't fucking show up to my wedding like you're insane Um, but in this one Julia Roberts has a meltdown she like writes the email she kisses michael she chases him she steals a truck she does crazy shit and then they're like all right well it's a happy ending i guess yeah and michael never is like is like yeah you've crossed a line and i will have to reevaluate our friendship he's that's what i mean about him being kind of a fuckboy is like i feel like he kind of likes this like i think he i think he likes that this happened and that like he's kind of like keeping her on this string and whatever you know well you know and this movie takes place post chad surgery and they don't even talk about that aspect of it i'm just kidding do you know what chad surgery is yeah did he get it no no i'm just kidding but like he didn't get his like jawline uh, adjusted or whatever i'm just kidding uh damn god damn it but imagine, because I'm just picturing it, you know, when they were best friends, he looked much different. He was full incel, and then he got yeah, Chad surgery. Yeah, he had surgery. like a weak little chin and whatever he got the Chad surgery. And this surgery is why again. women need to die. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> and that's the movie. They and dance at the end. <laughs> end of podcast. Uh, they they drive off into the into the fireworks. They leave their own wedding, which is kind of, I don't know why you do that. Yeah, they leave they're... the wedding uh, to this cool firework display. Yeah, they leave I... the whole fun part of the wedding. They don't have the a first... o- the good part. It's the good part. There's like of the no wedding. first dance that I saw, or like yeah. they don't eat their dinner that I. <laughs> yeah, it's it doesn't it really doesn't make any sense. They tried to shoehorn all the wedding tropes, but they just don't. It's like somebody who doesn't understand how that actually happens. So yeah. Uh, but so then the end of it is that uh, uh, her gay friend calls her and is like, oh, it seems like everything worked out okay. By the way, 
I'm well, pointing out little clues. Yeah, yeah. He's like, like I little... can just envision you sitting in your lavender gown. And she's like, I didn't tell you my gown was lavender. And he's like, drumming your fingers on the table. You just adjusted your crotch, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so it turns out that he flew out again. <laughs> Yep. This is two. It's this very is two easy, New York to Chicago flights. Quick and easy between New York and Chicago. It's I mean it is probably one of the most trafficked routes uh in in it's the country. It's very short. But, but come on, you're doing that twice. You're going to yeah, fucking JFK about, twice. Exactly. You're going to JFK, you're maybe you're not checking a bag, but you're still going through security, you're waiting, yeah. you're getting there t- an hour it early. It is 90s security, it's a little Right, better. that's true, that's true. You're coming in with full bottles of wine and liquor, you're just, <laughs> liquid's Showing coming up out your, your guns. ass. <laughs> uh, George Five always travels with his magnum. to your chest. Yeah. <laughs> like the Matrix. You're being like, there's a bomb on the plane, JK. And everybody's like, flight. oh, you. What are you, gay? Let's all watch the movie. What yeah, movie is it anyway? You're slapping asses, yeah, everything. It's uh, Shakespeare in Love, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's late, I think. Anyway, uh, so that's the that's the movie. Uh, yes. I, I, would, I would recommend it. I think it's a fun, it's a fun I love romantic it. comedy. I love uh, it. It's got some fun... Uh, you know, trope breaking things going on. Um, For sure. It's absurd. It's definitely goofy. It has a lot of the pitfalls of romantic comedies, but it has enough of the cool stuff that uh, I like it. Yeah. I mean, and they talk about the deliberate choice to make it so that she does not get the guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and they talk about the ending about how, and the, so the, the screenwriter says at the end, because also like, the rewrites were between the screenwriter and the director did some. Um, but the screenwriter said, the point of the movie is that the person you love the most in your life doesn't have to be the person you're sleeping with. It might be your child. It might be your parent. It might be your colleague. Blah, blah, blah. It's the yeah. person who you love. And it's not a crime to say that that love was the most important thing to her. Which, I mean, it wasn't. She kind of treats George like shit. And he just, you know, shows up when she she's... doesn't do a single thing for him even no. once. <laughs> Not once. So she resolves herself to a life of being a hag, and, <laughs> and uh, Michael and Cameron Diaz go off to presumably have sex for the first time in their lives. <laughs> for the first time ever. <laughs> yep. Well, that's the show. Thank you so much for tuning into Generation Loss. Thank you so much, Emily Panic, for oh, being thank Brynn you. Ebor. For um, being Brynn... Or thank for being you for today. allowing uh, me to inhabit Bryn Nibor. It's been a real <laughs> treat, but I'm ready to climb back into my own skin. Well, while you're in there, uh, perhaps we could plug our show that we have together. Yeah. I don't know what we call ourselves, co-hosts or colleagues or whatever. We're on a show together. It's on giantbomb.com. It's called Al Bummer. We mm-hmm. listen to albums that are bad, and we, I don't know, we're supposed to try to say nice things about them. We very rarely do. I don't think that's true. I think... I think I often come in with good things to say. I think mm. we, we thoughtfully discuss those albums uh, similar to We give to them the, th- the time of day. The thoughtful way in which we discuss these movies. Yes, we give them the time of day. We, we give them a a, a, a... a platform. A platform, yes. A soapbox. Exactly. <laughs> we give these albums a soapbox. Um, <clears throat> what, is the, what is the coming episode? What did we just record? 
Uh, oh, we did the Steve-O rap album. Oh, right. Which for this audience, we did the Steve-O rap <laughs> album. Uh, and that'll be coming out this coming Wednesday on giantbomb.com at, I think it's usually 3 p.m., but it doesn't seem like there's any sort of like, it's like uh, three pattern or four. to when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, not at all. But yeah. it is for free, and it is a video podcast, and uh, we, uh, we our other friends are on it too, so that's a lot yeah. of fun. Check it out. So check and, it out. Uh, I don't know. You're still on Twitter. What, what's your Twitter? It's a pretty big mouth. And check out Ghosts to show you. Yeah. And uh, anything else? Your show, Windbreaker. At, yeah, at, I do uh, stand up. You a know, bar. I, Where is it? It's at Union Pool. Union Pool. Yeah. Union Pool is the one in Williamsburg, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one that uh, um, it's near, like the Kellogg Diner. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Because uh, I always get that in Union Hall mixed up. I know. Well, so do the comics because normally shows, comedy shows, happen at Union Hall, but this one is at Union Pool, the place where people love to talk about, you know, having dirty sex in the early aughts. Yes, it, that is that in is the its reputation, but I don't think people do that anymore. No, it's got a great outdoor space. It's got a whole lovely venue. They put yeah. on free concerts in the summer during the day, Summer Thunder series. It's a great place, so patronize that bar, I guess. Yeah, go to the bar and, and tell them maybe I sent the comedy you show. So that, and yeah, come to my comedy show, but either way, tell your congresspeople that to... To, to, um, to do something To do something good. for once. Yeah. Well, that's movies. <laughs> that's movies. They're always dancing down the street.